Welcome to episode 200 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Dream Symbols wants to make you aware if you are in Montreal or have an interest in visiting Montreal, consider August 1st, 7 to 10 p.m. They're going to be having a dream hang at Hotel Tatango Studio with a special guest appearance by Sam Fogarino of the indie rock band Interpol. Again, that is August 1st, 7 to 10 p.m. in Montreal. Um, they're going to have 50 cymbals there for sale through the dealer Timpano Percussion. Uh, the guys from Dream will be there. They're going to be food, drinks, uh, just a good hang. I went to the one here in Jersey, and it's a real casual, uh, really nice experience to get to hear these cymbals in a professional studio played by professional players, and you can also play them as well, and you can buy what's there. Um, so here's the kicker. You need to RSVP to attend this event because they have very limited space. So if you email dreamhang, all one word, dreamhang at dreamsymbols.com, let them know you're interested in the August 1st event at Hotel Tatango in Montreal with Sam Vogarino, and they will send you the address via the email. Again, that's dreamhang at dreamsymbols.com. This episode is also brought to you by Tama. This week, we are uh, highlighting the new Star Classic Walnut Birch Drum Kit. Uh, this is a hybrid shell that has, um, what is this shell makeup? It is a, the Tom Snare Drum and Floor Tom have four-ply four birch plus two interplies of American Black Walnut. The bass drums are five-ply birch with two interplies of American Walnut. So this is a new hybrid shell for them that's designed to give you the focused attack of birch paired with the firm and warm sound of walnut. Um, it's a punchy sound, but it's also sweet and mellow. Um, this is you know top-notch Star Classic kit. We'll be doing a full-on review with audio demos and everything in a later episode, but I want to just draw your attention to it now. There are some videos posted on Tama.com, so if you go to Tama.com and then search for this kit, again, this is a Star Classic uh, Walnut Birch kit. Check it out. All right, let's get to our intro beat. This intro beat is performed by Luke. Luke. Farron, I know I spelled it wrong, Farron, right? Farron? Anyway, this is a groove from his band, Raison Zenith, and the song is called Kick It. So let's let Luke kick off episode 200. I guess they will be layered in a bunch of P-Funk music to fill it out. Hey, when you said, the first thing you said, you said, uh, I got P-Funk. and But the, the funk took a while. I thought you said, I got a P, and I was like, dude, we've you've known this was coming up. I might have to. I've I did just chug a protein shake for my out of lunch. Boy. I did tell, I've been telling you for a while, this is episode 200, get yeah, your game you straight. sure have. <laughs> So this oh episode God. is short because we had to do a half hour preparation because Mike thought it was episode 197. <laughs> I literally, okay. So listeners, uh, Mike and I are doing our, our pre-show prep and we're talking about episode 200 and what we're going to do for it and I'm feeling good about it. At the moment, I didn't know that Mike was talking about today's episode. So I'm going like, yeah, man, we should do that and we can definitely cover that. And then I said the stupidest thing ever, which was, how many more episodes do we have? What is this, 198, 199? And he goes, dude, look at your email, which was up on the screen, which said episode 200 rundown. Yeah. So we're calling okay. it Audible. We were going to have a big, big contest announcement today, and we're going to wait next week. We're going to get the details ironed out. But there mm-hmm. will be a multi-week promo contest uh, to celebrate our 200-plus hours of jibber-jabber with you folks. And we're actually going and to... It's- Go Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, what we are giving away is not like, and you get a subscription to the magazine, or you get Mike'sLessons.com access. You get something tangible that you can touch that is amazing. Now you can tell them what it is. All right. So we have one of the 6x13 Modern Drummer 40th Anniversary Snare Drums left. This is it. They will never exist again, and we are going to give the final one away to a podcast listener of and i can tell all of you that is one of the camp favorite snare drums we have that snare drum here or one of them here and every time we pull it out everyone goes what is that what is that and so that was made by bruce hagwood right yep bruce hagwood rbh drums it's a you know solid cherry shell with a curly maple inlay it's gorgeous it's got uh yeah solid brass tube lugs that we had specially designed just for us they're not just off the shelf tube lugs it's a top-notch drum, so um, we're going to give that away to one lucky listener in a few weeks. And the details on how to enter, we're going to iron out and make the final announcement next week in episode what? Episode what? 
that'll be two oh two oh one <laughs> two oh two one. one. <laughs> Which is one more than this one, which I knew all day long today. today, Mike Johnson. I'm. <laughs> this is a tough one. So this is the second advanced camp of the year. This is my fourth camp here of the year. Uh, this is what I was hoping all, I guess, advanced camps would be. We've got some true players here, legit cats that are doing it, doing the thing, whatever we call the real thing. I mean, really, nowadays, doing anything is real, but... We've got those guys and girls, or actually, this is all guys, uh, guys here that are just doing the gigging thing every single week, putting in the hours, and can play whatever style you ask of them. So it's it's been a lot of fun, and it's been a nine-person lab. It's myself keeping things on track, but we're all working together to grow things. So that's really cool. Uh, Lou Montuli from the Groove Scribe creation is here. Nice. This is his first advanced camp, so he graduated from intermediate camp into advanced. So... It's a it's a journey of he came to intermediate camp, had his rear end handed to him and learned what, oh gosh, okay, hobbyist drumming and real drumming is very different. And then came years and years, uh, I think he came maybe four or five years in a row to intermediate camps. And then last year I said, I honestly, bro, I think you could handle advanced camp, but it'll be like starting all over again. You'll be in the back of the pack and you'll be just hanging on for dear life. And he's his attitude has been absolutely amazing. He's a good friend of mine, so obviously I have... A connection with him, but I'm watching him go through this process, and his attitude is amazing. And we also had someone this year graduate from advanced camp, where I literally told him, "Nate, you can't come back. You can come back for fun if you want, but for drumming, it's you're too advanced to hope that whatever I created in the curriculum happens to land on what you're working on." So what happens you, from there? Do they go to maybe one of your teachers' camps or something like that? No, so uh, I talked to Amber, and I think we're going to start an invite-only camp where it's only four people. I invite them personally, and then I create the curric- I create four curriculums based around those four individuals and spend oh, a week cool. with them. Uh, so he would definitely be in that world. So Nate Smeeting, you are too good for advanced camp. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Well, I went to see yeah, so a, it's been a, lot of fun. A, a new band, new new for me band, and I think. Uh, actually, I think the singer's been around for a while. He's in the band Wolf Parade. Remember that band? Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're still, I think they're still technically a band. But he has a new project. It's like a synth pop kind of indie rock band called The Operators. Mm. It's just a trio. So it's the singer, you know, he's playing guitar and a little bit of synth. I believe it's his wife doing the heavy lifting with all the synths. She has multiple synths and she's triggering most of the bass parts and all that. And then a live drummer. And it it was really cool. I mean, it, I've I haven't seen a synth pop band ever, so it was a different experience. <laughs> to like, there's no sure. guitar amps, and I mean, it was just a different experience. But they are really great, and they were all set up evenly on stage. So the drums were stage left, up front, singer in the middle, keys on the right. A lot of fun. A lot of projections of like nostalgic kind of video stuff. Edited now help. Together. Help a California boy out. Did you see this in Jersey or in the city? This was in the city, the Bowery Ballroom, which is one of my favorite venues. It's a small, like, I don't know, maybe 500 people capacity little ballroom. It's it's one of my favorite venues. It's really cool. And crowd-wise, is a crowd in New York too cool for the music they've chosen to attend, Uh, or do they get into it? (laughs) It And I'm not being a jerk. I've toured a lot. It depends on the artist. Okay. Last night, the crowd was pretty rowdy. But, I mean, it's it's, kind of dancey indie rock so if, cool. if you're not having a good time and participating then why the heck are you there <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> you know? but it was super awesome. cool but i'm a little i'm a little worn out too so we might be a little uh punch drunk by the end of this <laughs> yeah well then i also on was it wednesday uh chris brady from aquarian drumheads he came to attend a full day of camp so he got here oh, cool. first thing in the morning and then went through it and chris is a monster player so it was great to have him here but it was also i think really good for him I mean, I'm sure you know what it's like. You must be around a lot of people that were full-time drummers. Then they were lucky enough to get a job in the drum industry. And then that job took over their life to the point that they barely play drums anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're still in the industry. So they're around drums all day, but they're not drumming. And I think Chris is in that place where he still drums, but not like he did back when he was studying with Greg Bissonette and learning every Vinnie Lick in the world. But he still has those skills. And so to have a full eight-hour day or nine-hour day of drumming, I think it was really good for him to be reminded, oh, yeah, 
I used to do this with my yeah. buddies and we it's would hang fun. out. And yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I forgot about it. It's not all about coded versus clear versus two ply versus single ply. So that was great having him here. Uh, and then if any of you are going to be in Amsterdam in uh, September, September 15th. Is that right? Uh, let me see. There we go. September 15th, 16th, and 17th, I will be speaking on behalf of Adobe on the Adobe stage at IBC Amsterdam. So this is a right, conference yeah. that is attended by 75,000 people, streamed live on adobe.com, and I have a 30-minute speech on the 15th, 16th, and 17th. So I will tell you guys more about that as it comes up, but I think we should definitely speak about the prep for something like that where I will not be able to hide behind a drum set. Because yeah, I'm that's, a little nervous. That's yeah, that's not quite basic, huh? <laughs> it's not quite basic, and and even the the TEDx speech I did was still you know, eleven minutes, a thirty yeah. minute speech on technology when clearly I can barely get Skype started for us. <laughs> Good luck, Johnston. Good luck, imposter syndrome. So <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you want to share some uh, some emails we got from listeners about our mm. our abuse of certain terms and drummers names absolutely absolutely all right let's start with the least painful one this is coming from kyle so kyle um he discovered the podcast last fall and then went back and listened to everyone every episode in a row for during his wow. hour-long commute to work so i apologize <laughs> but i hope you got something out of it um so he made some notes as he was binge listening so First of all, you probably heard it about five minutes ago. He, he discovered who lives near, who works near an airport. That's me. That was in episode 40, I guess, was the first time we were interrupted by an airplane oh, wow. flying overhead. Okay. Which might have been, no, that was still in this building. Um, the most commonly used terms, which these are both yours. I think that means someone talks more than the other. The buttery Ooh. and stud. <laughs> I never I say stud. I, I don't think I never said the word stud. Maybe. Well, maybe. I, yeah. I. I. Uh, yeah. I actually refer to. I don't know why, but I refer to a lot of female drummers as like she's a flat out stud, <laughs> I, and I don't know why. Um, yeah, is that a buttery a compliment? I could see buttery. Buttery. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a fan of buttery, man. I think it's just. <laughs> Sometimes you hit a crash cymbal and it's like gravelly, not fun. <laughs> Clearly, it's got a crack. Yeah, oh, but goodness gracious! Or it's got a one of those one of your silly Carter McLean dog hoof chain ring <laughs> jobbies. Dog hoof, <laughs> goat hoof, whatever. All right. All right so next, now Dalf's more practical. He says the most useful drumming items he's adopted since listening to the show, and I'm glad to hear it is the Toonbot drum tuner. Um, mm-hmm. You and I both use this often, and I think it gets. I think the ego of the drummer who says tune your drums 100% by ear, any kind of device is, is worthless. They honestly haven't tried using it because it does actually work and it does help. And it does yep. make for a more consistent, um, at least for me, testing ground. If I'm going to test the snare drum's tuning range, I can identify the exact frequency where it chokes out, the exact frequency mm-hmm. where it bottoms out. So I'm glad you're using that. Um, and then uh, grow grain ribbon to replace your those terrible wires that come with your snare strainer setup. Also, I think that's great. Go to your local uh, fabric store, buy a couple different colors of grow grain ribbon, and replace all those plastic straps. And don't do it. It's a bunch of hooey. It doesn't make any difference at all. We can do a sound test. <laughs> sound uh, test? Yeah, maybe not. But I mean, those plastic straps are the. Worst. I will say this. Okay, summer gig. Shorts on, plastic strap, cut with some scissors, and it just digs into your, the side of your thigh. That's horrible. I have been there, and I thought, I'm going to replace this with anything other than these plastic anything. straps. So I'll agree with that. Just don't use, uh, don't use dental floss. <laughs> no, I rarely, rarely attach my, <laughs> my snare with dental floss. I only floss. say that because I remember in college we had a, a triangle clip break, and we had no option but dental floss. Oh, so we had to use like a hundred layers because each one just kept snapping. <laughs> just, kept, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, so thank you, Kyle, for that. Let's go into um, this is Big Al's list of oh, the top ten drummers that we've most discussed, mentioned throughout two hundred episodes. Mm. Let's do a blind test first. What do you think number one is? 
I'm going to go Matt Chamberlain. He's in the top 10, but he's not number one. Vince Caliuta. Vinny Caliuta by a landslide. We need Damn to it. stop talking about him. <laughs> Moratorium on Vince. You're gone. Number two, Dave Weckl. Sayonara. You're off the show. Peace. <laughs> Number three, Benny Greb. Glad to meet you. Won't be mentioned. Gotta anymore. go. Number four <laughs> is going to be tough for me because he kind of. Because he gives you gigs? He kind of gives me gigs. Carter, I might mention you once in a while, but you're number four on our most discussed drummer list. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so <laughs> so right now, no longer mentioned on the podcast will be Vinny Caliuta, Dave Weckl, Benny Greb, and Carter McLean. We have nothing to talk about. <laughs> oh, there, there's, there's not even a drum industry wait, with them. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark Giuliani, you're out. Ash Soen, you're out. Keith Carlock, you're out. Steve Jordan, you're out. Tony Williams, you're out. And Matt Chamberlain, you're out. Wow. Who's oh in? Oh, my goodness. I'm surprised well, okay. John Bonham didn't make this list, honestly. Who? John Bonham. Okay, like I'm let me ask you this. Him. Outside of the top ten, who's your favorite drummer? Outside of the top ten? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my number one. Elvin? Yeah, my number one's, he's not in this. He's actually number 11. Elvin Jones is number 11. So he oh. didn't make the top ten. But, yeah, that would be my number one of all time mm, love it love it all right well yeah, so i don't know what that uh, means from moving forward well uh we've got the rest of this episode to use those names and then we don't use them <laughs> so i need to tell you guys something <laughs> special announcement for anyone that is signed up for the 21 drums camp in ireland with me mark ash Sone, keith carlock <laughs> so three of the top 10 Keith Carlock, unfortunately, cannot make it this year due to tour dates with Steely Dan. I think we can all be understanding. If, if you have to miss something that you've committed to because you have tour dates with Steely Dan or Sting or whoever yeah. else he plays for, that's fine. Uh, so good news is we were able to fill his slot with Robert Sput Seawright. So Sput nice. from Snarky Puppy will be the fourth teacher. And as a bonus, uh, we are bringing in Richard Spaven for two days. Oh dang, so man! I mean, that's, it's going to be an amazing camp. And isn't Spud a throwback to year one? Exactly. Yeah. So this is the first time that all four of us have been together. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And that announcement is going out today. So I've I've known this for a while. We've been working on just making sure everything was good with Spud, and then making sure everything was good with getting Richard there for two days. And once we got that all dialed in, that announcement is going out to the campers. And so uh, it's going to be a blast. And I think Sput is going to add, just especially with what he's been doing with those Vic Firth videos, he's going to add a lot of musicality to the camp and bring, because he's the one that's arranging all those tracks. I don't know if anybody even knows that, but it's, you know, if it's Benny Greb or Mark Juliana or whoever, they send their song. Oh my God, did we just do, I just used two. (laughs) Okay. If it's Sean Wright or Matt Gartska. They send their tracks to Sput, and then Sput makes the arrangements, which is insane. Uh, he's running that whole show. So I think it'll be a really good addition for the camp. All right. Uh, let's get into this thing. Let's talk about some inverted doubles. All right. So this, so we are still, this is only our second, second week through. There goes another plane. There we go. Welcome back to Fairfield, New Jersey, whoever you are. So uh, in the August issue, uh, my good buddy Nick Costa he wrote a piece on the inverted double stroke. Uh, and I think if you haven't looked at the article yet, this is another one of those where you look at it and you think, okay, that's that's pretty simple. What's going on here? He's taking a double stroke roll and just you know displacing it forward by an eighth note or, or a sixteenth note. But what he's doing is he's maintaining the idea of accenting the first note of a double stroke roll. But then you displace right. it. So the first note of the double actually comes on the E and then the uh and the E and the uh and the E. And the yeah. Uh. So if you were taking what, what I think a lot of us are familiar with is I'll give you two sound sources, my lap and, my, and then my desk. If we were playing right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, a lot of us are probably pretty familiar with accenting that first right and that first left, right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left. And then what most of us do is we permutate or shift the accent without shifting the pattern. I'm mm. good with that. I can go right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, yep. right, right, left, left. I can do all that. 
This threw me for a loop. So now we're taking right, left, left, right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, but accenting it as if they were standard doubles. Yeah. Which, like you said, puts it on the E and the uh. I couldn't believe how quickly that threw me off. Yeah, and I think that is something that is grossly absent from most of our development is taking the double stroke roll and not because the way even you sang it you're still actually in the first where it's always on this like downbeat heavy 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 downbeat downbeat but if you just accent all the e's and the uhs it's a whole new world opens up can you sing a whole new world uh no well, you're in the Disney production world now. I thought you'd, I'd know, I thought you'd know that. You'll never hear um, me sing anything ever for the rest of my life. That's guaranteed. <laughs> so, yeah. So playing right, right, left, left, right, left, left is one thing. Yeah. Playing right, left, left, right, right, left, left, right, right. Oh, my God. I don't even know if I can do it. Right, left, left, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, right, right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then putting a pulse in there. Of course. Yeah. So that is one thing that I think helps. And maybe... You can speak to this too, but in the beginning, when I was working on all of my independence, uh, and I'm going to say in my intermediate world, so I'm 15 to 20 years old, I'm starting to learn about this stuff. It seemed like bringing in the left foot was a torture device created by good drummers. And it was like, why? I can do this. Why are you making me keep time? Now, the left foot is actually what makes everything easier because I have a reference of pulse. Now that my independence is at the place to play that, are you the same or? Yeah, is I would it, agree. I would agree. It's easier for it's me. It's harder for me to take out. the left foot out. Yeah, it, yeah. I can I can figure it out when I have a pulse to reference into. Like just playing a displaced double short roll and accent the e's and the us. I think most of our ears would flip it and it would just flip it back to the downbeat again. Yep. So that kind of forces you to hear it the right way. But yeah, I think. <clears throat> excuse me, frog in my throat. Even just that first example. Going from number one Sorry. to number two, there's a lot to be studied there. And again, you look at it on the page, you're like, okay, it's a it's a inverted double stroke roll with the accents on the e's and the us, no big deal. Okay, but can you really sit on those e's and us and not feel that anxiety of I got to get back to the downbeat, I got to get back? Yeah, to do the you downbeat. do you need the one of the next bar to come around really quick so you can hit the crash and then <laughs> right. breathe again? How long can you hold your breath? I think the other thing that you're going to get out of this, it's it's a mindset that you have to have, first of all, which is don't be in a rush to practice Nick's article and immediately try to figure out how cool can that be. These types of exercises don't really work like that. What happens is this breaks down these coordinational and barriers that are in your mind. It breaks them down. It opens things up. And you don't know when this is going to show up. This might not show up in the way you intended it, but it's making drumming so much easier for you. Yeah, for me, that those first three are entryways into a flow state where you can, exactly. get, you can get out of trouble because you know you've, you've worked yep. through these difficult combinations and stuff. Whereas if you go to Getting this, out of, yeah, go ahead. The, second, the second page of it where it's, he's applying it to, to like linear grooves, I'm almost like, I don't, I don't want to do that because that's given me patterns to learn. Right. Like that's there yeah. for, for if you're more interested in how to apply this stuff to a groove, it's there. But for me, just sitting I, on those first three examples and just changing the tempo, changing the source, get into that flow state where I'm not like I don't have to think about it anymore. That's the goal. For I call me. I call the first three examples get out of jail free cards because we get stuck sometimes, and I, we've all been in that situation where we were improvising. Somehow we added an extra kick or something, and now we're left-hand lead, and we're in trouble. (laughs) And we're like, well, I guess we're here now, and I don't know how to – and it's like the an inverted double will get you out of that. Just – just hit one more note, you know? And and so these get-out-of-jail-free cards, they show up in in the times when you need them the most, but it's rare that I take something like this. Somebody just asked me online on – we're doing a Mike's Lessons live stream, and they said – can you show me something cool to do with the book report? And I didn't even think. I just said no. Because I don't I don't think like that. Like, I don't learn a hybrid rudiment and run to the kit and go, how cool can this be? It's like, I don't know. A rudiment uh, that's called book report is inherently uncool. It's exactly. a book report. Exactly. I'm not uh, – I don't even – what is it? Diddle, left, flam, diddle, right? At no point on a pad was I going You know what that's gonna sound good over the bio. Like I just 
I'm just working it out so my hands have dexterity. Same with this. Yeah. Uh, I, like you said, it is cool that Nick shows you some great orchestrations for this, mm-hmm. but that first section of it is what you need. I think that that's a, a bigger thing for most people is getting into what you call the flow state, being able to improvise on the drum set without being too present mentally. Yeah, not having to like think about how you're going to get out of your phrase. I mean, you just let it go. And yeah. and and I think the added benefit is normalizing those e's and us then everything doesn't have to resolve like a heavy downbeat all the time. I think that's that's when you get to that next level phrasing where everything doesn't have to resolve on one. You can right. you can go for e's and us and still feel grounded because you've you've internalized these things. Yeah, the one is still there even if you don't smack a 20-inch crash right. when it happens. It yeah. still happened. Uh, and so I think that that's a beautiful thing when people have that flow. All right, well, you can check out that full article by Nick Costa. It's called Inverted Double Strokes, and it is in the Strictly Technique section. It is time to talk about our featured artist, and our featured artist this week is Mr. Benzel Baltimore. Someone, to be totally honest, I was not familiar with until we decided to cover him, and uh, man, what a career. Yeah, I think before we dig in any deeper, we should hear him play in his natural element. So here's an excerpt from, um, this is a live feed of P-Funk. It's the YouTube video Sick Farewell Tour Stream. It was published um, last August. This is them doing what they do. So I'm going to just check out Benzel just grooving in one of the funkiest, weirdest bands of all time. Let's check it out. So that's Benzel. So his, his 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 born name is Benjamin Cowan. He adopted the name Benzel Baltimore because he's from the great city of Baltimore, just like many amazing drummers, including Don't P-Funk. get cocky. Don't get... <laughs> including... Sacramento's kicking out hit makers left and right, pal. <laughs> hey, I can't claim to be part of the Baltimore clique. That's a whole different world. I mean, you've got <laughs> Dennis Chambers, kind of the icon of it, and everyone that falls in his wake, including Benzel. Um, he's, you know, he played his first gig at Woodstock in 2000. No, it was 1999, and he was, I think he was 15 years old. Who, do you know who he played with? P-Funk. He did his I first wonder, gig with P-Funk in, in oh, 1999. Man. I wonder if we played that together, because I played, I played the last Woodstock that happened where Limp Bizkit and Rage kind of burned it down. Was that the, um, that might have been the one after that? I think that was the, yeah. Because the, it was in the ninety nine one was like the the first anniversary. The first one, one back. Yep. Okay, so we played the year after that. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm trying to find the the part in the story where he says how old he was. I just had it up here for a minute. I think he was, was like, fifteen. Yeah, fifteen years old, going to Woodstock, playing his first show with P Funk. How about that? Wow. And if you've ever seen a P-Funk show, it's not like, here's the set, learn the songs, learn the hits, learn the stops. It's, right. We've got an hour. Okay, let's just go play for an hour. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the set list and you're like, there's only two songs on yeah, there. Yeah, we only got an hour. He what do you want us to do? He says in the story, there's, there's never a set list. Like, they just really? play. And you can hear it. I mean, if you watch that whole hour-long video that we pulled from... They're weaving in and out of songs, and tempos are changing, and it's it's. I don't know how you could navigate that world unless you live in it, unless, unless you just yeah. absorb it. And that's kind of the cool part of the story for me. Is I mean, Benzel's father, I believe. Yeah, his father is a trumpet player in P Funk forever, so he's been just kind of hanging out with P Funk his whole life, absorbing that right. that world, and it's. I kind of think of P-Funk as like uh, a funk version of the Grateful Dead, where it's just people on stage and you don't know who's going to be up there on any given day or what the set list is going to be and the crowd's going to be you know, interactive. So I don't think it's a gig that you could be like, I'm ready for P-Funk. It's more like you've got the skills to play the drums. Now go go sit in on sound check and let's see if you can survive. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, P-Funk... For anyone that doesn't listen to that stuff and to Funkadelic, if if they don't know what it is, 
I think a lot of people immediately think busy funk when they hear the term funk. Like, oh, it's a funk beat? I have that on my Casio keyboard. It's like Tower of Power. Mm. It's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, no. It's a big genre with lots of subgenres. The thing that he said that stuck out the most to me in his article is he said, sometimes there's hits, and George will turn around and say, don't hit them. And he said, it's hard for me not to hit them. They're hits. Yeah, I, yeah. I know how to do this. I know syncopation. <laughs> I know how to... I have symbols. Let me use them. And it, that, I mean, the amount of control it would take to play an hour and a half yeah. of just groove. And, and that's a short just show for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like a three hour just melee and just groove and understanding <laughs> your role. What, what are you here to do? Are you here to be the greatest drummer on planet earth? Or are you here to make people dance, forget about what's going on in their world and help people have a good time? That's your job. You yeah. know, and if you can't do that job, I don't know if you can hear it, but I've I can hear it in drummers when you clearly don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Even if you're good enough to be here, you clearly wish you were doing something busier or that had more chops and stuff to it. And then when you hear somebody that lo- like you said grew up with this, loves this kind of music and respects it, they're not being held back. They understand their role and they're happy to do it. Yeah. It's, it's so different. Yeah, and he kind of shares in the story. It, by the way, uh, Benzel's one of the coolest people. If you, if you get a chance to meet him, he's always up to hang. And, and he's every time on the road, he's finding drum sheds to go just jam with people wow. and do lessons and whatever. He's a sweetheart. He's got all the skill, but he also knows like what we're, what we're here to do. And it's to right. play the gig. But wow. So one of the questions that kind of blew me away was he talks about his current his practice routine and he's he's playing a double stroke roll at 120 beats per minute for a half hour straight Mm. so you would think why would a funk drummer need to do that well they play three hour shows and then maybe on hour 2.5 George says take a drum solo (laughs) and he's got to be able to call that energy to be like "All right, this is me going full tilt when I'm exhausted my body can barely even function anymore so that 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 kind of really stuck to me like okay he knows like the gig for me is can i get through the gig with full energy yeah. full passion and have that throttle to be like it's time to go now like let's rip that is so similar to what i experienced in greece with george Koyas. his it was the same thing he was oh, like yeah? dude do you have any idea how fast we have to play for for an hour and 30 minutes straight <laughs> when we're headlining because when when he told uh the class and then my uh me and chris coleman when he told us his warm up, it was very similar to that, but with feet and then with hands. And we were like, what? I mean, that seems like a waste of time. Mm. Our lives are very different than this touring, gigging life. I mean, just like you said, being sitting in the pocket for two hours and then on drums. <laughs> <laughs> Benzo Baltimore, you're like, oh, uh, okay. I can't feel my wrist. <laughs> I'd really rather not. And, and he's, you know, in front of massive crowds, just unreal. Yeah, he's a great, great drummer, and 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 I love the fact that he just he brings some fun and some silliness. But when it comes to it, the guy rips on the drums, and he's he's groomed for this, which I think yes. is really special. You know, it's not he's not you, you don't you can't go to college to get these kind of chops. You know, like this is a special <laughs> skill set. Uh, apparently, he's the only drummer to be the only drummer in P-Funk's history. They've always toured with multiple drummers, and he's the, really? he's the first one where he's the only guy. And interestingly, only one drum set, so it'd be like certain tunes, I guess George would say, you play, or you play, or I'm oh. tired, I need, a, I, need a, <laughs> I need to tap in my <laughs> tag yeah, in somebody yeah. else. But wow. yeah, he's, he's the only one, so when they do these marathon three-hour sets with no breaks, he's up there sweating it out. That's awesome. Absolutely cool. All right. Well, if you want to learn more about Benzel Baltimore, uh, you can definitely find a ton of his stuff on YouTube, but you can read this full article, which really the articles inside MD sometimes are bigger lessons than even the lessons. Absolutely. I don't know if you find that to be true. but Yeah, for me, yeah, there's always something that, that changes, that pivots my perspective. And, and, and this in particular was, a, was a really ripe with a lot of that stuff. Like if this is real world, I do this stuff. I'm not BSing. This is what you have to do to get through this kind of gig. Super cool. Love the guy. Awesome. Love his playing. Love the band. It's supposed to be uh, George's farewell tour, but I think whatever. From what I've heard, the band is going to continue on. Hopefully, regardless of what happens, so it could just be oh wow, P Funk awesome into 
the rest of our lives, which would be awesome. Awesome. Oh yeah, we've yes. got uh, we've got two sponsors this week. So, first one is our longtime sponsor, Dream. Um, they wanted to get into this episode to make sure that we promote an upcoming hang they have on August first, uh, seven p.m. to ten p.m. This is going to be at Hotel Tatango Studio in Montreal, and it's going to be featuring Sam Fogarino of the indie rock band Interpol. Um, they are going to have fifty symbols for sale at the event. That'll be uh, purchasable through Timpano Percussion, which is an amazing store up there. Um, a few of the guys from Dream are going to be there. There's going to be food and drink. The The key thing is they need you to RSVP because they're not going to hand out the address until, they, until you RSVP. So to RSVP for this, if you're going to be in Montreal on August 1st, or if you need an excuse to go to Montreal on August 1st, it is dreamhang at dreamsymbols.com. Apparently space is very limited. So I, it, there's no ticket price, but you need to RSVP. So again, that's DreamHang at DreamSymbols.com. August 1st, 7 to 10, you better hang with the guys from Dream Symbols. And also uh, Sam Fogarino from Interpol will be there. Fantastic. So our second sponsor is Tama. Tama Drums sent us a brand new um, Star Classic Walnut Birch kit to review. Um, so if you haven't seen the press on this, this is a... It's a hybrid shell. It's got four plies of birch and two inner plies of American black walnut on the f- snare toms and, f- and floor toms. The bass drum is five plies of birch with two inner plies of American black walnut. Um, the idea is to have the focused attack of birch paired with the firm and warm sound of walnut. Uh, so it's punchy but sweet and mellow at the same time. Um, we're going to be featuring this kit for sure as a review item, but for now, make sure you go to tomadrums.com and look up this new Star Classic Performer Walnut Birch Kit. Um, comes with all the you know the Tom appointments with their their quick lock Tom brackets, the really uh, stable slick Starcast mounting system, um, the Star Classic bass drum spurs, diecast uh, claw hooks. Air cushion floor tom legs, Evans heads, diecast hoops. I just had a conversation with a longtime listener, Scott Sparks, about diecast hoops. Um, so yeah, there's some videos on their site. We'll definitely be revisiting this um, in detail in a couple weeks. But for now, go to tomadrums.com, check out Star Classic Performer Walnut Birch if you're in the market for that type of kit. All right, now well, we should dude, listen you crushed to stuff. It. <laughs> you guys don't. I mean, if you didn't see it. Because you didn't see it, but that was live. That was really cool, man. All right, let's get into our product review. I've got the drum here. This is the, oh. what finish is oh. that? I don't remember what they're calling this one, but it's like a seafoam green strata. Well, yeah, we'll have all the actual details. But it's gorgeous. We have video and audio and all that. All right. Well, dude, we don't need audio. Just hit it with your finger. We'll find out <laughs> if it's any good or not. Record it right into your Zoom. Yeah, I'm sure Tom Tom would appreciate that. Here's the <laughs> demo. Like, Thanks the for this. Here's the bench. demo. <laughs> uh, well, I'll talk for a while while you tune that thing down so we can hear the low tuning with your finger, and then we'll be good. All right, it is product close-up time. We are checking out some new additions to Peisty's line. As a former Peisty artist, I can tell you that this line was. It was the dream of Peisty artists, Peisty fans everywhere. Just the Signature Series line. It, it's hard to say that it sounds like anything other than flawless cymbals yeah. every time. They, yeah. they sound like samples. Uh, when you hit them in person, you can't believe it's a real cymbal. You're like, this is a sample. This is what, this is what producers think a, a cymbal should sound like. Uh, so they've added to the lineup with, what, 19, 20 fast crashes, some uh, 16 through 18 mellow crashes, a mellow ride, and a full ride, and some 15-inch uh, signature Dark Energy hats. Yep. Uh, that's awesome. Huge fan of the Dark Energy line. Yeah, so this is the 30th anniversary of the Signature Series, which is hard to believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh. So, yeah, they just added some, you know, choice pieces that were missing in the signature lineup without mm-hmm. you know reinventing the, what's kind of made them 
move into the, the current state of, of symbol making was I think the signature suit. I think I think of the the giant beats as being sixties, two thousand twos as being seventies rock, rude maybe eighties metal. It was a rough time. Yeah, rough but then time. it became what I think of the Pisces symbols with the signature series. Just Agreed. beautiful, Absolutely. all-purpose, can-do-anything kind of symbols. Yeah, I think that from the signature series through the dark energies, that was when it was like, this is modern Pisces. So uh, we've got... Um, so yeah, so the fast crashes, they added larger sizes. So they were currently available in 14 to 18, and then they added 19 and 20. I think very smart, because who uses a 14-inch crash very often anymore? Um, a lot of people, they just are, they're called splashes. <laughs> Not a crash at 14. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, let's check out the 19 and 20 fast crash, shall we? I will. All right. exactly what i would expect out of those crashes yep they just sound amazing every yep. time not too bright not too warm just kind of all not too trashy not too smooth i mean kind of everything all in one i think the the thing that makes the signature series stand out and it's captured in those which is cool because you don't know is it going to still work in a 19 and a 20 but it's clarity there's so much clarity to those symbols yeah. without any hint of bad overtone they're just flawless yeah and in that that clip the ride was the 22 inch full ride which to my ears was one of the better sounding pingy quote-unquote rides i've ever heard it just kind of defined that pingy sound i i I imagined josh freeze or someone like that using this ride symbol a lot totally Uh, all right you want to check out the mellow crashes now why they're called mellow i don't know a little bit more thin, but they still, to me, they just sound like <laughs> beautiful symbols. I would love to hear, like, the Pisces A&R be like, hello? Yeah. Why are they called mellow? I don't know. <laughs> I mean. That's our stance on it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, so a little thinner, a little more buttery, if you will. Maybe. Maybe. But, I mean, they're, they're kind of medium thin. Um, yeah. I mean. They call them mellow. I think they could be aggressive depending on how you hit them. But let's check out. This is the 16, 17, 18 mellow crashes. Also, the 20-inch mellow ride is in this clip. That sounds to me like, as I was listening to it, I was thinking of that Square Pusher record, uh, Feed Me Strange Things or something, Feed Me Weird Things or something, where every time he hits a crash, it's like, pew, pew, like perfect crash, perfect crash, perfect yeah, crash. Yeah, yeah, totally. Crash. That's, I, when you were playing on them in the beginning, I was thinking I could totally see a producer in a control room 
going. Uh, when we're done with the track, can you stick around for a little while? I just need to sample those real quick. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because the producer's just been waiting for somebody to bring something like this in. I think the other thing that I'm hearing in the in the mellowness of it is generally when you have – they're a little darker sounding but without being trashy at all. Mm. The pitch is a little lower. Like when you hit the 16, I was expecting a much higher pitch cymbal. Yep. And it had like this low fullness to it, but there was no trash to it at yep. all. Yeah, I can dig that. Yeah, I feel like there's maybe a little bit more mid-range in them or something. Right. Um, yeah, not quite you, as classy. Do you have the video up? Do you know which hi-hats you were playing in that clip? Those are the 15s that we're going to uh, focus next. The dark energy. Yep, that's the 15-inch dark energy hi-hats, which I absolutely love. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I was having a hard time hearing the crashes because I couldn't stop listening to those hats. They sounded <laughs> buttery. <laughs> they're, they're not buttery. All right, let's check <laughs> them out. <laughs> So if you had a piece of buttered sourdough and then you put some Rice Krispies on top of that, that's what those hats are. Those are Rice Krispie toast. That sounds like a carb coma. (laughs) Yeah, carbidose. Carbidose. You've been a carbidose for a while. 15-inch carbidose high hats. Man. All right, um, we've entered into punchy territory. (laughs) Okay. I'm trying to dance around this the best I can as a minor artist, especially as a former Pisces artist, but damn, those sound good. Yeah. Those, yeah. I like 15s. Sometimes I have a hard time with them sounding kind of platey or the opposite, like two kind of like crashes. Yeah, yeah. These kind of fit right in the middle where I didn't have any trouble articulating anything on them, but they still had some funk, some air to them. They were a lot of fun. I could see using these on a lot of stuff. And they they seem to be thick enough to get a good chick out of them, too. Yeah, no, yeah, they were were pretty chunky, but they, they didn't have that, like, that hum that sometimes large, thicker high hats Oof. get. You know. Is there anything worse than ching wing, ching wing, ching wing? Damn it! And you start spinning around in between every backbeat with your hand, hoping that they'll magically stop doing that. Now I have, uh, I have maybe some inside scoop on that um, from okay. someone who's who's analyzing all types of symbols that that sometimes happens when the bell is sunken in too far, like the. The, really? Where the bell meets the the bow of the symbol, if that's okay. too low, that can be a hum, create a hum. Wow! So this is like subtle, uh, subtle art of symbol making that we need. Would to that dive information into. come from somebody whose name rhymes with picky nope. tune? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, well, we have to talk about the. Uh, the stuff that you've been testing lately with that, because yeah. that stuff that you're working on is amazing. I want to do, yeah. Um, I think we're due for a feature on symbol design, like what goes into it. I mean, I'm I'm learning so much as I as I really pay attention, like how much the bell sound actually affects the entire symbol sound. I'm starting to hear, regardless it more if than you're anything. ever going to hit the bell or yeah, not. Yeah, you can actually some yeah. symbols you can hear the bell ringing throughout the symbol sound. Like that defines totally. what the symbol sounds like a lot of times. You know, one thing we tried to do when creating the transition ride was I remember using this terminology not knowing if it was relative to symbol making but we were going back and forth between Germany and Turkey and I said I need the bell to activate the symbol mm-hmm. I want to hear the whole symbol when I hit the bell I do not want to hear just bell and it we kept doing different things until the bell literally activated the symbol and it was a weird I didn't know if that was going to make sense and translate to Turkish, but it mm-hmm. worked. Uh, but yeah, symbol design's insane. And I wonder and, and if that's actually the reverse, where that's what you wanted, but really what needs to happen is the bell needs to be activated at all times. Like right. when you hit a crash, yeah. when you hit the edge, the bell has to be part of that sound. So you don't hear that separation as clearly. Yeah. There's definitely um, a lot more that goes into it than we know, and we, we just take it all for granted. So these sound fantastic. If you guys want more information on these, check out the product close-up. Uh, these are 
the signature series uh, the signature series line has been added to, and they've brought in some 15 inch hats into the dark energy line, which is also part of the signature series. So very cool stuff. And I think, I think those 15 inch hats are a, a needed addition to that lineup. Yeah. And it'll be a, it'll be a good year at NAM for them for sure. All right, let's get into some listener questions. All right, let's roll through a few here. This one is, um, actually, we probably can't even answer this one. That's par for the course. Well, this is from Phil. Was listening to episode 199, and we started talking about great drummers that sing. Do you have a reference or link or suggestion to a place that talks about how setups for the drummer vocal mic um, can be done? Can have any suggestions? Take your time, bud. I don't want to rush you through this. Sorry, Phil. I'm not quite identifying the, the proper way to read the words that you sent me. Holy hell. Uh, so he's looking for suggestions on microphone setups that aren't the uh, headset. Yeah, that's a, a tough one, right? I mean, we've all seen different ways and, and seen the annoyance as the drummer is swinging the SM58 mm-hmm. in and out of their mouth and then it smacks them in the teeth yep. on the way back and so <clears throat> I mean as somebody that does not sing from the kit I have no reference I just know that I'm with Phil I'm not wearing that Madonna headset mic yeah there's a band that I often play shows you know one of my bands plays shows with this other band and, and the drummer does a bulk of the melodic singing and okay. he has to wear one of those headsets and it he actually has it set up I don't know if he has a gate on it or something to where he the mic only is activated when he's really on it. Like he has to almost okay. like swallow that. So you don't thing. hear him breathe. Yeah, so you're not getting like just random sounds. But it's still a headset. He still looks like he's a air traffic controller. It's not the. I wonder if our if our guy, the mixing guy that we love with the dreads, if he's ever done an episode on m- vocal mics for drummers. Yeah, you know the guy not. I'm talking about yeah, that does all the sound compressors. Lab. Yeah, creative yeah. sound lab. Yeah, yeah. But I've seen well, um, Elon Rubin has a setup with Nine Inch Nails. I think it's a big gooseneck that swings uh it's one of the smaller what's the sure uh smaller it looks like the b52 but it's tiny is it a 60 oh. you know what i'm talking about yeah of course what is that you mean one? they're tom mics yeah it's like the, a tom mic but it's it's um, i think it was from the uh well they have the pg series of it i can't remember the model number yeah, it's not that it's the 56a yeah that one beta 56a <laughs> that might be a better choice of microphone because it's smaller. It's also super cardioid, so you have to really be on it to get it to pick up sound. I think that's what Elon uses. He has on like a gooseneck that just swings around. Yeah. But yeah, that's tough. I've, I mean, Ringo just put a straight stand between his legs and he somehow made it work back in the day. Jeez. <laughs> oh boy. Way to go. All right, next. All right, our next one is from uh, Matt. Matt Hurst. Hurst. Um, uh, my wife and I just purchased a new home. My personal favorite feature is a completely finished off room off of the garage, which I plan to use for practice and tracking drums. When I got my kit set up and played a bit, I was surprised at how bright the drums and cymbal sounded. It's a relatively oh, yeah. small L-shaped room, and I play. It doesn't really matter what you play. You play in drums in a small room. That's that's yep. the problem. Um, do you guys have any suggestions on what I can do to deepen and warm up the sound in this room, whether it be acoustic treatment um, or treatment of the drums themselves? I wouldn't change the drums. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the drums are, right? Yeah. Nope. You got to. You got to. Uh, Knock down those reflections. Do not, do not discount the ceiling. That thing is firing things off left and right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think one thing that I run into, and I don't know if you deal with this at all, but I, anytime somebody walks into the Mike's Lessons studio, they always think that the foam is soundproofing. Mm. They no one knows what sound treatment is. Yeah. Every time they're like, "Oh, I bet your neighbors love this." I'm like, "What? This doesn't even slow anything down." My yeah. sound goes right out the door, yeah, yeah, but no, it good. sounds a lot better in the room. Yeah, I mean, our our good friend, who I can't mention his name, um, just... Smarter McCain. <laughs> if you follow, he just put up a YouTube. He got, uh, guys, I think it was, what's the company? Audio Audi, Mute. Audio, Audi Mute. Audi, uh, Audi Mute. Audi Mute. So there's a whole, yeah. I think his room is pretty much similar to what you're describing. So check out his process. He had to treat the walls, treat the ceiling. There's diffusion everywhere. I mean... In order to get that thing to sound really nice, you've got to do a lot of strategic treatment of that of that space. Think yep. of it this I, I What I did was I just bought a bunch of um, – I found a studio that was closing down. And on Craigslist, they were they were selling off all of their Arlex foam. 
So I okay. bought like hundreds of panels of it for like 250 bucks. It's pretty wow. crazy. But the strategy is anywhere you you see a flat piece of wall, the parallel wall opposite of that needs to be treated. So if right in front of you there's a one foot square and then right behind you there's a one foot square of just flat wall, one of those has to be treated. And you have to kind of use that strategy all throughout your room. So at no point are two flat, solid walls looking at each other. That Makes should sense. do a lot for it. And then, like I said, hang something above the drums. You can you could drape a blanket or put some foam above it. That's going to make a huge difference. Uh, but it's going to take some work. Yeah. Uh, check out If you need to save some money, check out a place called The Foam Factory. They're an online place that just makes foam. So it could be mattress foam or anything, but they happen to also make a lot of studio foam shapes and stuff. And they're, they're, they're quite a bit more affordable than if you're able to do what Mike said. Awesome. But Oralex by itself, brand new, can be pretty expensive. So check out yeah. The Foam Factory, and that'll at least point you in the right direction. All right. So we've got one more here. Um, this is from Neil. I'm a left-handed, left-footed drummer playing on a regular four-piece right-handed kit. Um, mm-hmm. When playing fills, I tend to still lead with my left hand, hitting the snare first, and then opening up my arms to the toms. I've heard that Ringo Starr talk about this method. I um, was wondering if you know of any other left-handed players who play right-handed kits. That's the way mm-hmm. I started. I'm left-handed, and when I got my first drum set, I remember distinctly watching MTV saying, okay, no one sets their drums up the other way, so I'm going to set my drums up like everybody else and figure it out. What I didn't do was try to... I played right-handed, but I always started with my left. Exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it was a problem when I tried to play Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2. That was the song where I was just pretzel-arming myself. So I just decided one day okay, you're going to now learn how to play right-handed from, from that point wow. on. Because it was just too much of a hindrance. I just saw down the road it was just going to be a constant battle of, all right, I've got to figure out how to, way to orchestrate this stuff that everyone else can do just naturally. It seems like it'd be also pretty tough to read any drum set music that had rights and lefts in it or had a very specific sticking pattern because you yeah. have to invert it. Yeah, and I also discovered um, working with another podcast listener, Chris Carter, shout to Chris, he plays left-hand lead, and a lot of his fills, he was starting with the left hand, and, and not even knowing it, he was dropping one subdivision at the end of his fill out. so he could yep. get back to the left hand. And, I had, and it took us a while to discover that you have to, to play a double right at the end of your fill in order to keep it natural mm-hmm. and to still land in the, in the open-hand position. So I think ultimately you're dealing, you're kind of handcuffing yourself, uh, no pun intended, playing that way but if that's the way you want to keep playing i don't have any other suggestions of drummers who do that particular thing except for ringo he's the only one i've heard talk about it um check out a a band called black map uh so map black map and the drummer's name is chris robine chris uh is pretty much uh has always been at least since i was about 16 years old my main idol in the rock world and uh he plays he does everything you're talking about. The one thing he does that's a little bit different, though, is he has his rack tom and his ride cymbal reversed. So his ride cymbal is right over his snare. Oh, interesting. And his rack tom is over his floor. Uh, it changes from, from night to night. Sometimes he has a, a left where we would put our side snare. Sometimes that's his second floor tom. Mm-hmm. A lot of his fills start on the left-hand floor tom. And so that's where his oh, fill man. starts is the left of his hi-hat. So you can do whatever you want as long as you make it work, but... Sometimes it's I. If it was a student of mine that was in the early progression of their drumming, didn't have thirty years of experience behind them, I would do exactly what Mike did. I would tell them to do that. Like yeah. Start leading right. It's just going to make things so much easier. I mean, I was I was young enough probably that the the muscle memory wasn't too ingrained, but it didn't take long. It probably took six months of like deliberate practice to just get my to make my ears kind of flip to be right hand yeah. lead. Um, so I would suggest that rather than trying to figure run around. That's just me as a left-handed. You can still listen to Black Map. They're a great band, all right? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many examples. Carter Beaufort. There's so many examples of, of great drummers who've made you know left-handed choices. Um, but yeah, I don't. As far as anyone else to study that does exactly what you're talking about, I don't know of anyone except for Ringo. That's it. There you go. All right. So. Um, that's it. So thanks for your questions. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. We have a bunch more to get to. 
but we could use some more audio questions if you don't mind uh, chatting into your iPhone or whatever. Send that to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Um, all right, picks of the week, shall we? Why don't you take this whole one? Because uh, I have to run right after your pick of the week and start camp. Okay, so we we kind of just talked about maybe doing some drum history in the show um, to help bring in some names that aren't Vinny and Weckle and Carter. Um, so I'm going to use my pick of the week this week and probably in the next few weeks to kind of highlight some historic things that maybe um, if you're not an ultra nerd, you weren't aware of. So this week I want to feature a drummer named Big Sid Catlett, who um, Big Sid is largely credited as being one of the early jazz drummers who was able to make the transition to bebop um, and not sound like he was still playing old style drums. Um he was in, gosh, so many different bands. Most notably, Benny Goodman's band, Duke Ellington's band, um, Fletcher Henderson's band, Dizzy Gillespie's band. So there's a transition to bebop with Dizzy Gillespie. And also Louis Armstrong. So he was straddling that like classic original jazz and then Dizzy Gillespie with this crazy new progressive music that ultimately became bebop. Um, so he... Was born in 1910, died in 1951. Uh, Max Roach, wow. yeah, he was young, short, short career. I think that's probably why we don't talk about him too much because he didn't have a chance to really, you know, once the recording industry developed, he was I had already passed away. Really, if you think about it, 1951. I mean, when did everyone have record players? 1960s, maybe, and mid 50s. Anyway, so. Uh, the great bebop drummer Max Roach credits Big Sid as being his primary influence. And if you if you know the Max Roach drum solo piece that's called For Big Sid, and you're wondering why is this piece called For Big Sid, uh, Sid wrote a piece for Dizzy Gillespie called Mop Mop. Um, and actually, we have a, a version of it with Louis Armstrong's band. So listen to the melody of this tune, and then YouTube, Max Roaches for Big Sid, and you'll hear that Max just is literally playing the song note for note on drums. So this is Mop Mop uh, by the Louis Armstrong All-Stars from the 1947 performance at Symphony Hall. Let's check it out. We're going to drop in the just the, the beginning bit of it, and then also a little bit of his solo towards the end. So this is Big Sid Catlett on Mop Mop. I think we definitely need to keep that going. And our picks of the week are so, I mean, what are you going to do? Recommend some ribbon that somebody throws on their snare? <laughs> I'd rather hear some drum history. <laughs> I'm not going to do uh, all jazz history, but I do want to. I mean, it's the early history of drum set is jazz, so it's kind of hard to absolutely. ignore it. But I'm going to call out some pioneers fantastic. of the instrument, and then maybe we'll do some gear history stuff, whatever. But I love it. That's episode 200. So reminder, next week we will announce how to enter to win this amazing 6x13 
solid cherry modern drummer anniversary snare drum um, it will involve some class participation so get practicing uh, let's just say maybe 117 BPM and maybe listen to some classic pop songs and you'll maybe make sure you have an Instagram account <laughs> maybe make sure you have an Instagram account <laughs> might be might be important and uh, uh, yeah so that that was fantastic by the way I just I enjoyed listening to that and that history I think there was a a double set of DVD uh, or a double DVD that came out called Drum Set History, Jazz History, Jazz um, Drumming, hi- Jazz Drumming, yeah. yeah. Hudson did that, yeah. Man, I love I I I've, I watched those so many times when I was a kid, and I just loved those. So remembering this stuff and remembering how how different the world was for them on this instrument mm-hmm. and how this instrument was also not completely embraced by everybody. I mean, I still travel to countries where the drum set is very new. So uh, it's it's really cool, and we're very lucky to have the pioneers we had. But I also think listening to what Sid did in that song reminds us that people have been bad at this instrument for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instagram didn't just find, like, the talent. Okay, I mean, like, yeah, that was ripping. <laughs> I mean, just think of the what the gear he was playing. I mean, what was the bass drum pedal? What was the hi-hat stand? What was the pedal? Yeah, yeah. What was the throw? And was he... Com- <laughs> Was he complaining? No. You know, he's like, dude, this thing's amazing. Like I push it down and three seconds later, it makes contact with the head. This is fantastic. All right, everybody have an amazing week. Get out there, go practice, whatever you're practicing on tag me and Mike in it. We love seeing that stuff. If you can head on over to iTunes, give us a five star rating and write a little review that helps other drummers find this podcast. And we really appreciate that. Now it's time for some outro grooves by... This is Stuart Anderson. This is a 7-4 beat that is a drum track for a song called Closer for an album that he's working on with one of his bands called 202. So thank you, Stuart. We need more beats, so get us your beats. MDinfo at moninddrummer.com. Include a Dropbox link. That's our new shirt. (laughs) Mike and Mike, get us your beats. (laughs) Eat your beats. See you next week. (laughs) Later.